I'd like to efficiently address Israel's internal political situation, a few words about the recent violent attacks on Israel from Gaza, my short analysis of Israel's geostrategic position, and the news yesterday from the Trump administration regarding the West Bank. The Middle East, of course, remains deeply troubled in terms of human rights, Syrian civil war, widespread autocracy, Islamic abuse of women, violence against Christians, Yazidis, Kurds, and still jihadist terror. Comparatively, therefore, Israel is a robust democracy and economy and by far the region's success story. Israel further compares favorably to many Western democracies who face today some combination of political malaise and internal dissension, populist backlash to immigration policies, and significant debates about even first principles and cultural traditions. Western countries are also exhibiting relatively stagnant economic growth rates and severely declining birth rates. Alternatively, Israel appears to be growing and thriving and is relatively united. Overcoming the burden of the Holocaust and the long absorption of disparate poor populations, as well as five major wars and various wars of attrition, Israelis have exhibited admirable pluralism and diversity and deep commitment to their geographical place, their religious roots, their shared economic and political destiny. Israelis seem to know what many others have forgotten, which is that a society doesn't need to be perfect to be good. Israel's Jewish growth rate is high, well over three. When you see a country full of baby strollers and building cranes, that's considered a good sign of gross national happiness. Israeli brains and hard work and determination have made the deserts bloom, and Israel, in fact, is now an exporter of water and energy. Israelis became efficient after decades of Arab economic boycott and military threat and so much money spent on its defense. GDP has grown to $370 billion. Israel ranks number 28 in the world and number two on NASDAQ new tech startup companies. Per capita income is now $41,000. Israel has also seen dramatic improvement in its relationship with its regional moderate Arab state neighbors and with India and many other countries. Even Sunni Arab states now look to Israel, at least quietly, as a potential coalition partner vis-a-vis Shiite Iran. Gays look to Tel Aviv as the friendliest city in the world, and Hollywood looks to Israel for story ideas. Israelis are united in their patriotic sense of country and in their service. It's true that Israel's political dysfunction and parliamentary process has resulted in delayed finality to the prime minister's race. But whether the government, eventually when they get one, is led again by Prime Minister Netanyahu or by General Benny Gantz or some unity coalition or Israelis go to the ballot for a third time, national security decisions 
are likely to be made within a broad consensus that has existed for a long time. There is an extreme left and an extreme right in Israel and 18 political parties, but by huge majorities, Israelis are proud of their country, brave, and confident that they are in an ethical and achieving society, making a huge contribution to humanity. The bad news is that Turkey and Iran have now replaced Saudi Arabia and Egypt as the key enemies of the Jewish state. Iran works through proxies like Hezbollah and Hamas and Islamic Jihad and remains an existential threat. The Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps plots and plans against Israelis and Jews every day. And Iran has just advised the International Atomic Energy Agency that it is enriching uranium up to 4.5%, beyond the 3.67% allowed by the nuclear deal. Iran's stockpile of low-enriched uranium is over 500 kilograms, again, above the accord's 300-kilogram limit. Iran has also been now using advanced centrifuges prohibited by the agreement and resumed enrichment at its underground facility in Fordo. In Gaza this past week, some 450 mortars and rockets again rained down on Israeli southern cities and towns. There were dozens of injuries, including an eight-year-old Israeli girl who had a heart attack. Schools were shut down, business was disrupted, and parents have been huddling with their children. No nation should ever have to suffer this kind of assault. But Israelis remain resolute. I saw a video of a wedding party last week during the rocket attacks in a bomb shelter. During the 50-plus years since the Six-Day War of 67, multiple peace efforts were launched. The original Arab League declaration of Khartoum, no peace, no recognition, no negotiation, eventually did give way to a peace process. That was encouraging. After Anwar Sadat of Egypt was told by the Soviets that they would no longer support offensive war, Sadat decided to tilt instead toward the United States and seek peace with Israel. He did so at the price of his life, massive Israeli concessions of the entire Sinai region to Egypt, but the peace has lasted. So too, Jordan decided to side with the United States and has kept the peace and good relations with Israel as well. Unfortunately, not so much for the Palestinians, not actually a separate historical entity from other Arabs in the region. Early in World War II, the Grand Mufti of Jerusalem traveled to Berlin and promoted and inspired Hitler's final solution and mass murder of the Jews. After the Allied victory and then Israeli independence, the Palestinians first bet on relations with the communists and then with third world non-aligned nations and then finally with many European countries who have been their sponsors since the Munich Olympic Palestinian massacre of Israelis in 1972, changed the European political calculus. Europeans admit they were intimidated into appeasement of Arab terrorism, with several European nations choosing an economic and ideological alliance with the frontline Arab states rather than with Israel. 
Many Western European nations have been suffering challenges to their individual national identities and security in the face of rising Islamism in Europe. Anti-Semitism is very intense now with Jews fleeing Paris and London. Europe is in trouble. By 2050, many European cities will be majority Muslim, meaning we can certainly expect even less support for Israel from Europe than ever before. The EU just announced they will label and boycott products made by Israelis in Judea and Samaria, weaponizing laws meant for consumer protection. This offense follows a shameful history of anti-Semitism, the Holocaust, economic and academic boycott, and now a virulent return of Jew hatred in Europe. So, regarding Palestinian rejectionism, Repeated Israeli concessions, including the release of terrorists, the withdrawal from the security zone in southern Lebanon, Israel's northern border, the unilateral withdrawal from Gaza, Israel's southern border, and the pauses in lawful land development in the West Bank all only seem to inflame Palestinian terrorism and intifada, including by Hamas and Islamic Jihad. Further Israeli territorial concessions are not likely. The Israeli wall worked, mostly a fence, for the most part to stop the suicide bombers, a lesson very well learned by many Israelis across Israel's political spectrum who now simply want separation from the Palestinians and security and stability for both populations. It is ultimately the Palestinian tyranny, which has held back the equitable economic and social development of their people. And so we've seen knifings and attacks by car and terror plots and the launching of rockets. Israel does its best to deter, recently targeting another jihadist leader in the Gaza and blowing up underground terror tunnels. But Hezbollah remains armed with 150,000 precision-guided missiles, which now can reach all over Israel. The Iron Dome and David Sling and the Aero Missile Defense Systems are positive developments to attempt at great cost to knock out incoming rockets and missiles. But I'm concerned these systems, defense systems, can be overwhelmed and that terrorists will eventually find a way to introduce weapons of mass destruction, including chemical and biological weapons. The American response to all this has generally been highly supportive of Israel across the political aisle in the United States. In addition to the longstanding joint security assistance between the countries, there have been many good faith efforts at negotiation. Camp David featured Carter and Sadat and Begin. Clinton produced a handshake between Rabin and Arafat. Bush met with Sharon and Abbas. Obama brought together Abbas and Netanyahu. What happened to the Oslo peace process and the two-state solution was that Palestinian dictatorship has not yet chosen to join the West as Jordan and Egypt did and to end their long war against the Jews. The Hamas Charter, Article 13, remains in force. And the Palestinian Authority has now refused negotiations for nearly a decade. It refused to dismantle terrorist groups, refuses to end the incitement to hatred, 
and murder that suffuses PA-controlled media, mosques, schools, and youth camps, refuses to stop paying salaries to blood-soaked jail terrorists and stipends to the families of terrorists who've murdered Jews. The Jewish presence in the land goes back thousands of years and has been uninterrupted and continuous even after the Roman conquest from A.D. 134 to the present day. The Jews are not going to leave. And Islamic jihadi rockets from the Gaza Strip are not going to make them do so. As Richard Gere proclaimed in An Officer and a Gentleman, they got nowhere else to go. The current administration has stiffened American support for Israel at the UN, has signed the broadly supported Taylor Force Act, named after an American serviceman killed by Arab terrorists in Israel. Congress cut off aid to the Palestinians. The administration ended support at the UN for agencies favoring the Palestinians and cut off the Palestinian office in Washington, D.C. The recognition of Jerusalem as Israel's capital, which every president across party lines has promised to do, was predicted to upset the Arab world dramatically, and it did not do so. And to wide Israeli approval, its sovereignty over the critical Golan Heights was stipulated, with most observers grateful that the genocidal Syrian regime was never able to operate from those heights. Just yesterday, the administration clarified long-standing ambiguity about the legality of Israeli land development in the West Bank, announcing that it was up to Israeli courts to rule on individual cases, but the United States does not consider civilian Israeli land settlement per se illegal under international law. The international reaction has been expected with opposition from Russia and Turkey and several European nations, though Hungary has made it clear it will veto any EU resolution against the United States, as it did in support of moving its own Hungary's diplomatic mission to Jerusalem. Let me clarify a couple of points about Israel's right to settlement in the area. Israel has the most recognized historical claims to the lands, including the off-sided 1922 British Palestine mandate asserting Jewish rights to the land between the Mediterranean and the Jordan River. The UN Charter of 1945, Article 80, did not alter any of the established law regarding this area. For example, the UN disallows the forced population transfers, but does not disallow residential building. The 1967 UN Resolution 242 was co-authored by Professor Eugene Rostow, who repeatedly clarified that Israel has lawful rights to the disputed territories as they were recovered from illegal Jordanian occupation in a war of self-defense, not aggressive conquest. And finally, under international and Israeli law, the test is whether there are any humanitarian issues to consider, including private property rights under Israeli Supreme Court review of Israeli actions in the West Bank. 
I close with a reminder of the two main reasons for the enduring American popular and political support for Israel. As we approach 2020, we will hit the 400-year mark since American pilgrims aboard the Mayflower arrived to our shores. These were believers in the Bible who loved the Holy Land and believed in the claims of Genesis 12.3, that those who bless Israel shall be blessed. Settler William Bradford declared that he was founding a new Zion. Our American founders believed in restorationism, the return of the Jews to their promised land. We note that on Thanksgiving Day in 1799, New England pastor Abiel Abbott remarked, it has often been remarked that the people of the United States come nearer to a parallel with ancient Israel than any other nation around the globe. Hence, our American Israel is a term frequently used, and our common consent allows it apt and proper. Abraham Lincoln called Americans an almost chosen people. And in our times, bipartisan coalitions in Washington, D.C. have stood by Israel for decades, and I hope that continues. The second reason, beyond our shared civilization, laws, values, and heritage, is strategic. The 21st century is proving to revolve around our economic competition with China. They are way ahead of us in 5G technology, for example, and are seeking to dominate artificial intelligence with its implications for our health care, our technology, and every area of life. What will increasingly become clear is that Israel is our key technological partner in our competition with China. Rockets fall and terrorize children. This is sadly consistent with the history of the Jews, whose enemies remain from Tehran to Jeremy Corbyn to campus radicals. But Israel has thrived and survived, and it retains the goodwill of millions of Americans who continue to believe Am Yisrael Chai, the people of Israel, live. Thank you. Thank you.